six-week, uh, I was on a six-week trip, and I was teaching English um, to a group of students in the city of Changsha, China, and just a small city of about three or four million people. And uh, two of my, my teammates were from the Pacific Northwest. I was from California. One was from Oregon. The other one was from Washington. Uh, one of the ladies was a redhead, so she kind of stuck out in the sea of black. And then the other was a blonde, um, blue-eyed brother whom once the Chinese ladies laid eyes on this brother, they fell in love. Every single time, you'd be like, oh, Zach is so cute. And, and then there was me. <laughs> and so you can imagine everywhere that we went, uh, we would just get a royal welcome. Everybody would just, uh, just treat us like we were... Um, we were, we were celebrities, and there was this one town that we actually went to that I distinctly remember that that town had never seen any Westerners before, um, although they probably were confused because they saw me, <laughs> um, but they never saw any Westerners before, and so we were greeted with this entire like cheering crowd, um, a local news media, and then we were interviewed on their local uh, Chinese TV while we taught some local classes of kids. And uh, it never occurred to me that, hey, I would actually get nothing but awesome hospitality until I was at McDonald's one day, and uh, I was just amused or bemused by the scene of pandemonium that was coming before me. And if you've ever gone to China, you'll know that lines, they don't exist. It's just a bum rush of people trying, yelling, screaming, trying to push their way to the front uh, just to get their order. And there's no rhyme or reason. You're just like pushing everybody out of their way. You know, mothers are like pushing boys out of the way and, and fathers are pushing everybody out of the way. And, and there's, there's, no, there's, there's just craziness, sheer craziness that was going on, right? So I was like, okay, well, maybe I want to go. Uh, I, need to, I need to just let my friends in California see this. So... I, tell you, I whip out my awesome 35-millimeter uh, camera, because we didn't have those back in those days. That was in 2000 or so. And uh, I whipped it out, and I started taking pictures of the front, the menu, and the sheer scene of craziness right before me. Well, you know, I didn't count that, that my actions would be noticed. But if you pulled out a camera at a McDonald's or anywhere in America, nobody's going to even bat an eye, right? I mean, but then... That didn't happen because then two security guards immediately came over and they started shouting at me in Chinese. And I was, in a sense, forced to hand over my camera. And they pulled me to the side and they started questioning me. And their tone was sharp and shrill and they were yelling at me. And I, and I had no idea what they're saying because my Chinese is really bad. I could barely even border in a Cantonese restaurant, you know, some of the main things. All I know is where is the bathroom? That's about it. And... All I got to it, and that made them even more irate because the more and more they thought I was a national, and they were asking why was I taking a picture of the front of the McDonald's menu. Well, apparently you don't take pictures of the menu because then you're seen as a spy for the other side, for KFC or something like that, uh, Pizza Hut. Um, and that you're spying on their menu and going to give away their secret sauce and their secret recipes. And so I was just, at this time, I didn't know any of this was happening. I only found that out later. I had, I had thoughts in my vision that I was going to get deported. 
and uh, that I would be on their blacklist forever. I would never go back again, and I'm sweating, and uh, they're demanding now to see my ID. And I was under no circumstances to hand over the passport because there was a problem on the black market and getting those passports in the wrong hands and losing them. And so a thought popped in my mind, maybe I can give them my California license. And so right when I gave them to my California license, guess what happened? All of a sudden, their irate, sharp faces of madness and anger just completely changed. And he asked me in relative wonder, oh, so you're from California? Yeah, make old man, <laughs> right? You're, you're an American? They were just barking at me the, the, just the time before, causing a scene. There was scenes of people like gathering around, and then in this moment, they are talking to me enthusiastically in their broken English. Oh, you're an American? Oh, what city do you live in? And more importantly, what basketball team do you support? And I was just like, oh, God, I think I said the Lakers at that time because no one knew that the Clippers even existed <laughs> at the time. And so by the end of the day, we, they had checked me out thoroughly, and we had become an awkward set of friends. And they wished me goodbye, and that's when they told me, hey, you know, uh, we love talking to you. Don't do this again, but it was nice to meet you. <laughs> but I believe they confiscated my role of film, though, and so they took out everything that I had on that role, including all the stuff that I was going to give to KFC. Um, <laughs> we see something powerful in the way that we are received. Jesus had just finished his sermon powerful sermon speaking to his disciples that they will be welcomed, that they were going to go out to certain towns and they will be received. Other times they will be persecuted and they will be hated and even killed. So the disciples were not under any illusion to expect that they would not be treated well, or that they would be given the celebrity treatment. And so Jesus ends on this positive note that it matters, though, how our disciples will be received. What are disciples, what are me and you supposed to remember as you go forward in this journey? You know, I was just talking with Paul Wyatt in first and third the, uh, today, and he was just saying that, you know, he has 20 years of his life before, Lord willing, he meets Jesus. And sometimes we don't think about that. We don't think about the fact that our lives are but a moment. They are a speck. And we have this life to glorify King Jesus. We've got to ask ourselves, what are we doing with it? Are we journeying with this eternal mindset in mind, right? So what are we supposed to remember as we're going around in Jesus' name and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom through our lives and through our words? And, and what are we to do as we go on this journey? What are we to remember about when, when we are received by others? And how does that impact the way that we treat others who are disciples? Well, if you are with me, turn with me in Matthew chapter 10 and look at verse 40. And we're just going to go through three verses today. Matthew chapter 10, verse 40. First book of the New Testament, right after Malachi, right before Mark. Matthew chapter 10, verse 40. And Jesus says this, Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. Stop there. What we see here 
What do we think about as we're going forward in this journey called life? What do we think about when others receive us, when we are nervous whenever we present ourselves and we say we're a Christian? I want you to, Jesus tells us to remember this. Everyone who receives Jesus' disciples receives Jesus and his Father. What this means is this. You and I don't just come with just your credentials. Just like I came and, and showed my credentials to those police officers I carried the, not just the authority of who I was, but I carried the authority of the United States of America. But also it came representing that tour de force, that once they saw that I was an American citizen, they received me. And even in a greater way, we don't just come as a citizen of a country that has only existed maybe uh, less than 300 years. In a greater way, we Come, whenever you say that you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you come in the authority of King Jesus, the Lord God, the sovereign one over all who has risen from death and the grave to pay for our sins and to grant us the victory, just as we were singing over our sins and death and Satan. It is he whom we represent. And that's powerful, right? Amen? That, that's powerful. Y'all don't... You don't agree. You got to agree with me, okay? So that, that's where we that's where uh, we like to talk, okay? So <laughs> it's more, but that's powerful, you know. That is powerful, but it's even more powerful than that. Look at the text again. It says, "Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me." It's not that you're just carrying a card. You're carrying the king. Whenever you and I are received and you go public with Jesus, that you are a follower of Jesus, the way that you were received is on par with Jesus himself. It's as if Jesus is standing there right next to you. The way that people receive you is as if the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who has conquered death and sin and Satan, is receiving that same welcome. It's as if Jesus put down, if you wanted to talk about where he was living, he put down your dress. By extension of Jesus' words in the second half of verse 40, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. Whenever people receive you, they are also receiving the Father himself. So every rejection and every reception of a disciple carries Wait, it is as if the Father himself is there. So remember, in any situation, every situation, however you are treated, the Father himself is there. And it's the same as the Father is being treated. Now, in my story, like the California license, it's kind of like that, only with that one amplification. It's not that you're carrying... Um, American citizenship as in a card to represent the country that would vouch for me, if we were to take that example, it's almost as if you were treated as if you were the president of the United States yourself and you were there, right? And I, so I didn't just carry authority, but the treatment of me was as if the president was right there in the flesh. And so 
if they knew who they were talking to, if they knew that I carried the authority of the president, I don't think that they would do that. But that's very much how this passage reads. Whenever you come and are warmly received as a disciple of Jesus, it's like Jesus himself, and by extension, the Father is right there and being received. You see, a lot of times it's easy to see our lives as a cruise ship and that we're floating and we're coasting along. We have this cruise ship mentality in our lives that as long as we wake up, we get up, (laughs) we serve some kind of semblance of breakfast, we get to work, we show up, we eat our lunch, um, we pay less than $10 for our lunch, uh, we come home and we don't get killed by the traffic, and we come home and play around with our kids, that's a win. It's almost as if we are on this this cruising mentality that we're just drifting and that we're just doing things, but we have no mission. But believer, I want to encourage you that today, God is speaking to us today that we do have a mission. This is the language of mission. If you look at the passage in verse 40, whoever receives me receives him who sent me. It makes us remember right off the bat that the triune God of all the world that is received in the same way that in which I am received, he has sent us into this world as ambassadors. And we don't carry just the weight of authority. We're traveling with God himself. And what was this mission? This mission is to proclaim and to live out and embody the gospel of God's kingdom. See, way back when there's a struggle between two kingdoms, where the kingdom of God was, was meant to rule and reign, and everything would function so well under that. But then the Satan, the enemy, had come in and tried to be like God. And because he tried to be like God, he kicked off God off his throne. And for that, he was judged. Along with a third of his angels, his name was changed to Lucifer, and he was cast out into uh, the world, and he was cast out. And now they are deceiving the world and everyone around it to blind them from seeing that their worth is in the living God, that their, that their journey, that their mission is one of giving God supreme and glorious worth. Satan's mission is just to blind us, to blind us that the biggest thing in our lives is that we just get through another day of just going through our lives and thinking that because we live and we sustain and we do all these things, that we're good. But God has so, so much more. Amen? God, he has a glorious kingdom. And by the inbreaking of his son, Jesus Christ, who came 2,000 years ago, he has invaded the kingdom of darkness. He has infiltrated this whole idea that this life is just meant to just cruise and to be blinded by lesser things that could take up our time and take up our minds and take up our hearts. And he deceives men and women in thinking that they are to rule their own kingdom. They're on their little, their little tricycle thrones and that they are there to exist to rule their own little kingdom. Where God has given us, has given us 
a greater reality. He has given us the keys to his kingdom in which the kingdom of God, when it comes, it raises people from the dead. It's an unstoppable kingdom. It heals the sick. It makes the eyes um, open for those who are blind. It makes the sick healed. It makes demons run away. It's a kingdom that is now. It's the very power of the kingdom operating within us who all have trusted and put ourselves under the rule of Jesus Christ and under his rule and reign. We have the very power of the kingdom within us. That's our mission. Amen? The outworking of one great divine purpose in which the Father has sent his Son and now the Son has sent his disciples to announce that mission and to be that mission. That you are made for something greater. You are made for the glory of a God who has saved you, redeemed you, and is calling others to worship him from all walks of life and from all nations of the world. That's what you're made for. Jesus had sent the disciples into the world to testify of himself. And he's testifying today that you, if you are a disciple of Jesus, if you have proclaimed that you are a Christ follower, you are walking in the weight of Jesus' presence himself. It's so easy, right, to, to gloss over this. You, you might have been thinking, oh, great, you know, three verses today, it's going to be a short sermon. <laughs> um, it's so easy to just gloss over this. But yet this is a simple thing that has direct bearing on who we are in Jesus. When people honor you, Jesus is honored. Whenever people honor you and receive you, in the same degree God the Father is honored. Because you and I have this ultimate, awesome connectivity, oneness, um, and fellowship and communion with the holy God. And it's, a, it's something that's unbroken in intimacy. The, Jesus says, abide in me as I in you, for I am the vine and you are the branches. Abide in me and, I will, and you will bear so much more fruits and your joy may be in full. Oh, we have an incredible God and an incredible connection and incredible intimacy with God that far is far beyond all compare. Um, and so I want to ask you, this should change the way that we view our discipleship, right? This should change the way in which we represent Jesus whenever we're walking around or whenever we're serving the community or whether we're um, feeding somebody or feeding the homeless or serving the poor or ministering to others, right? It should change the way that you view discipleship. Now, it doesn't mean that you expect the royal treatment everywhere you go, I mean, we were at Cheesecake Factory celebrating Joanna's uh, eighth birthday, my daughter, and we were told to wait an hour, right? I'm not going to be like, hey, man, if you make me wait, hey, you're making Jesus wait. <laughs> yeah, and you better get that cheesecake going on because Jesus loves cheesecake, you know? <laughs> you, you can't do that, right? That, <laughs> that's not the right, the waiter, the waitress will probably stare at you very strangely. Um, you can't just pull your rank, right? But what does it mean is is that for disciples who are on a mission, every rejection and every reception of you is on par with receiving and rejecting Jesus himself. And in the context of this passage, 
here, we see that the hospitality uh, described here includes probably harboring these disciples who were probably wanted by authorities at considerable risks to their hosts. These disciples knew that their message would not be received very warmly by their own people. In fact, they would probably bring stones and want to stone them. If anything, they want to insult them and revile them. And so they knew that their message would not be warmly received. But every time people responded positively to them, this was in a way aligning themselves with Jesus and his message. Now, Jesus was bringing his sermon to a conclusion that there is a life that will cost you everything, and that's Jesus' way. You want to find me? You lose your life. Yet along the way, that there's going to be people who receive you with great hospitality and take risks for doing so. But in their small acts of love and their small acts of faith, they not only receive you, they receive Jesus. They also receive the Father who has sent you. Jesus now unpacks this statement. Um, if you turn with me in verses 41 to 42, by using these two groups of respected people, then he uses it to encourage the disciples who are neither in, neither in these two, two camps. Let's take a look. Verse 41, the one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. So let's unpack it here. Jesus is talking about if you receive a prophet. Now, prophets were those who were highly respected, starting from the Old Testament. They were the ones who were speaking literally the words of God. They are the ones who said, thus saith the Lord of hosts. And they were called and commissioned to speak God's word as if they, God himself, was speaking there. So they demanded just the highest respect, right? Jesus is, is not stating anything in the contrary here. He's not calling out false prophets or anything like that. Rather, he's illustrating a point that if you are truly a prophet, and if, say, a prophet was coming in to our church um, today and you would probably receive them because if he's legit, because he is a prophet, and as you receive them, you will receive a prophet's reward. In the same way, someone receiving a righteous person because he is a righteous person, talking about the person uh, who is righteous, if you do that, then you're going to get a reward too. And so when you look at the, the text, you see and look elsewhere in Scripture, you see the prophets and the righteous are linked elsewhere um, in the New Testament, for example, if you ever turn to um, chapter 13 in the, same in the same gospel of Matthew, Jesus was talking about the blindness of the Jews, and he told the disciples that they were blessed because there's a lot of people that got to see Jesus, but they were super blessed because their eyes have seen something and that they actually were open so that they can actually see it with spiritual eyes, and their ears were open so that they can also spiritually hear. In verse 16, it says, But blessed, Jesus is speaking to the disciples, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and do not see it, and to hear what you hear and do not hear it. Also, we see that the righteous were going to shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father in the future. We see that later in the text, chapter 13, verse 43. 
And so some people see two distinct classes of believers here. And that they're saying that the prophets are like the religious leaders and the righteous persons are like the mature believers or maybe the, another set of teachers. But I think if we get into the minutia of all these things, I think we don't really need to figure out what those classes are. Because I think Jesus is making a point about his own disciples being received. When you look at the beginning of chapter 2, Jesus' main audience were his disciples that he was sending out. And in verse 40, his attention was, again, to who? His disciples. So you take it from beginning to end, it was instruction to his disciples. So Jesus is signaling that not only just prophets should be received, or not only should righteous people, in other words, people who walk out the ways of Jesus, they shouldn't also be received and get all the honorable but Jesus is on a path here. He's going in order of prominence here to illustrate the truth. If rewards are given to the prophets and even to the righteous person, then it should go down to even people who have no status at all. Verse 42, the little ones that Jesus talks about in verse 42 are the disciples themselves. Jesus is making the point. That when people receive them as disciples of Jesus, whether they have no status or status at all, they will not fail to be rewarded in the greatest way. Jesus has a way of emphasizing this. Look at the text. He says, truly I say to you. In other words, listen, look, don't miss this, Hope family. Don't miss this. Truly, I say to you, or behold, it's used for uh, when they see angels and when somebody sees a heavenly vision, you see this behold or, or look. Truly, I say to you, Jesus saved the most important weighty passages for something like this. And then he steps out of generalizations to the particulars. He tells them, even a cup of cold water given to the most ordinary and insignificant disciple would not be left unrewarded. <laughs> now stay with me here. Jesus was talking about big things, right? Family betrayal, risk of persecution, being hated by all. Why does he talk about something as insignificant as giving, somebody giving a cold water to a disciple of Jesus? Wow, what a big deal. I think we need to elevate only what Jesus elevates. We shouldn't elevate the things that Jesus does not elevate. But I think Jesus elevates this because he's saying that this, if prophets and teachers are treated like that, what makes you think that disciples who have no status, no notoriety, no fame, how they should be treated. The disciples of Jesus, no matter who you are, from the highest all the way down to, in a sense, the least, we should be all welcoming them with the hospitality that even Jesus himself gives. In reality, the lesser ones are probably those 12, those same dis disciples that, that, that Jesus was calling out. Jesus was calling them not to a, a life of fame, not to a life of amazing things, but he was calling them to a life of faithfulness. 
they will be nobodies. They will not be seen as great. But Jesus encourages them that as you go out, you're, somebody's going to recognize something in you. They're going to see Christ in you. Their efforts to treat you well is the same way and the same treatment that they will treat Christ. And by extension, the Father. Even if it's just a cup of cold water, because they saw that you were thirsty as you were preaching the entire day, or preaching the entire hour for the gospel's sake. There is, I love this passage. Oh, I love this because this shows us that there is no disciple that goes unnoticed for the kingdom. That there is nobody in, that's walking the ways of Jesus that is striving for him, that will fail to lose their reward, which is just being loved and enjoyed by God. At our men's retreat, it was so, so powerful. Because there's so many men struggling with disappointment. They were struggling with the fact that they were unnoticed. But yet they renewed their time, renewed their sense of this renewal that God is for them and he enjoys them. And I want to encourage you today, if you are feeling the weight of it all, the weight of life, the weight of struggle, I want to encourage you that you do not go unnoticed by God. Even in the smallest acts of kindness that you ever, ever do, it's the same, it's the same thing as them or you receiving Jesus himself. In Matthew 25, we see this great passage where it reminds us where Jesus looks at the final judgment. He'll gather all men in his throne. He will separate those who are disciples as sheep from those who are rejected him, which are the goats. And he will welcome those who are blessed by his Father to inherit his kingdom. But remember what Jesus says? Verse 35, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. And I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty or give you drink? And when did we see you in prison and, and, and naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick in prison and in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you as you did to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Even when you gave a cup of cold water to a homeless guy on the street in the name of Jesus, and you found out that he was a believer. Even when you sat at home day after day after day, week after week after week, fulfilling the role of a mother caring for your children, even though you thought nobody else noticed. Jesus says, I see you. You will never lose your reward for discipling your children. Even if you have done the smallest acts of kindness, the smallest acts of service that nobody sees, Jesus sees you. He notices you, and you will not fail to lose that reward. And that greatest reward 
is not only that we serve the king, but the king will reward us with his, with his presence. Our hospitality of people who trust in Jesus is a big deal. Don't view any act of kindness or love as a Christian. This is a service given King Jesus himself. Don't de-elevate what Jesus elevates. Your hospitality, your welcoming of people is an act of worship. There's no forgettable act. There's no kind act. There's nothing that's lost in the whole view of human history and the economy of the kingdom of God that God says, I will not forget. He receives it. So, Hope family, I just want to encourage you. Every time you are doing something for the kingdom and nobody notices, Jesus sees you. As we pray and as I invite the worship team to come forward, I want us to... I want you to close your eyes right now. Whatever you are struggling through today, whatever you are working through today, maybe you're just feeling unappreciated, unloved, uncared for, and maybe even unknown. Just know that the Father sees you as you are warring for your discipleship, as you're warring for your kids, as you're warring for um, being a witness in your jobs, as you're warring for other people. And just thank and delight the Lord Jesus that he sees you and that he loves you. And that he worship and let him and just worship him. God, we just thank you and praise you that you love us. Father, you notice us, Lord. Even the smallest acts of welcome toward a suffering saint who's dealing with cancer or dealing with sickness or dealing with life struggles, Father, even our smile, our lending ear, our care, it goes nowhere unnoticed, but it, you reward. Father, thank you that in the smallest acts of the kingdom, Lord, you are there and you're receiving our welcome. Father, I just also pray that, Lord, that if there's anybody here struggling with a sense that, Lord, that the Lord, that you don't love them or that you're disappointed in them or you don't notice them, I pray that they would feel your touch and experience the truth of your gospel and the truth of your presence. That he who receives you will receive me. And that Jesus, we carry the authority and the presence and the power of the kingdom. Thank you, Father. We love you. We pray that, Lord, you would move in this place. We pray that you'd move in our hearts and move in our lives. That, Lord, we would see that we are the bearers of a greater kingdom and a glorious kingdom beyond all compare. And that we would go out and, Lord, whatever the small things or the big things that we do, that, Lord, you would see them that we would have reward of just being with you, being in your presence and knowing you. We love you. Pray this in Jesus' name.